Well, good morning to you. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Could you explain to a new friend the purpose of the resurrection and why it's such a big deal? Could you do that? Maybe you can after today we've talked. Lord, open the scriptures to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. What the resurrection means, as Will has already done on this day, Christians all over the globe, when they meet each other, one person will say, Christ is risen, and the response is? is One more time, a little stronger. Christ is? is He is risen in? Just a little louder. Can you not be louder? Come on, goodness sakes. Christ is risen. You hear that, heaven? Awesome. I want to tell you a story before we look at the passage. The Vietnam War was winding down after nine hard years. Do I have anybody in this room that's a Vietnam War vet? Hold your hand up. Vietnam War vets right back there. Somebody else right back there. Thank you for your service. American troops had been out of the country for quite a while. Uh, Saigon was surrounded and about to fall. Look at the North Vietnamese tanks going right down Main Street. Look at the panic and uncertainty in the faces of the populace. April 28, 1975, it all came to a head because the, the United States still had diplomats in the consulate. And it was going to be dicey whether they could get them out or not. Look at the the Vietnamese trying to get to safety by storming the walls. The plan was, was to get the diplomats to the Saigon airport so they could be airlifted out, all of them in several planes. But before they could do that, the North Vietnamese army actually captured the airport and the first thing they did was they bombed the runways, making them uh, unusable. So we got a real problem. It's gotten worse. Only one solution. If you know anything about the story, you may have seen some of the famous photographs. That was evacuation by helicopter, the only thing that would work. And there, look at all those American diplomats going into the back of that big helicopter. You see, we had a fleet of 44 warships right off the South Vietnamese coast. And out of that fleet, there were two aircraft carriers that had about 50 helicopters. So that was the plan. And these brave chopper pilots essentially for a day, ran a subtle a shuttle service back and forth from the carrier to the American embassy, getting off as many as they could. They would fuel up, pick up, go back, drop off, fuel up, pick up, drop off, and they did it again until they got every single American out of that compound. But there was another problem. Four to five million Vietnamese in the city of Saigon, and they desperately wanted out of the country too, and they were doing anything to get out. Look at that picture. 
they were completely afraid. They thought there would be rep reprisals, could be mass executions. Uh, this is a line of South Vietnamese troops that are being carted off to who knows where. Look at their faces in the photograph. So, there was a group of well-trained South Vietnamese helicopter pilots and the few bases left, they had access to American-built helicopters that they had flown before. Uh, this is a Huey put out by Bell. And so these young Vietnamese pilots, this is a Chinook designed to carry cargo. And uh, so these brave pilots fueled up their choppers and they were determined to get as many of their fellow countrymen out of the country as possible. Many of them actually did what you might have done. They went back to their villages and picked up family members and these Hueys in particular that was designed to carry 12 people now had 25, 26, 28, 30, 35 people loading that chopper down. Could you imagine the desperation to try to get out? So the Vietnamese pilots knew that their only option was to get out past the coast into the sea and find the American fleet, which was not going to be easy to do. They could hear the chatter over telecommunications. They could guess where they were, but the issue, they had to find a clear deck, a free deck to land. Running dangerously low on fuel, they found the fleet. But to their sadness, all the ship's decks were filled with people, equipment, and aircraft. They were out of options. They couldn't go back to their country. Look at those sailors waving that helicopter off. They couldn't land on the ships. They're about to go out of fuel, which meant all these choppers would ditch into the sea, killing everybody on board. Not many good options. Okay. Let me tell you about another rescue plan. I'll tell you how it ended. Can I do that? You got to wait till the end. Matthew 28, let's all look at the passage together. The greatest rescue plan of all time. Now Matthew writes, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, what day is it? The first day of the week. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. Behold, a severe earthquake. When the Bible says severe, it means it was big time. A severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled away the stone, and actually sat upon it. 
His appearance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. The guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. But he is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he was lying. Verse 7. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I've told you this. So the women left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy, and they ran to report it to the disciples. Jesus met them, greeted them. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, for there they will see me. Now it turns right here in verse number 11. Now while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. And they said, you are to say this. In other words, the religious leaders have these soldiers. We'll give you a large sum of money, which will make you instantly wealthy. But if you, if, if, if you ever noticed in a crime story, all the people in the crime have to get their story straight. Because if one person doesn't, everybody's in trouble. So the scribes and Pharisees said this, you will say this. His disciples came at night. Stole him away while we were asleep. And this should come to the governor's ear. We will win him over and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money, did as they were instructed. And this is a story that was widely spread among the Jews. And it's told the same way to this day. So follow with me as we study, we work through this passage. So the women began their journey to the tomb. They do it out of devotion about dawn on that Sunday morning. It's called the first day of the week. You notice there's a subtle change here. The body of Christ starts worshiping on the first day of the week instead of the Jewish Sabbath. You can worship the Lord every day. Every day is terrific. But look at the subtle turn here. So the women thought he was dead. Wouldn't you think that? The women thought he was dead. And the reason they came was to finish anointing his body for his burial with spices, expensive spices. They've got a problem. The problem is the Roman guard. The other problem is there's a huge stone. It weighs about two tons, blocking the entrance to the tomb. And they have no idea. Mark chapter 16 says they're going to have to deal with this blocked entrance. Now, Jesus had told his disciples repeatedly over and over and over that he would be raised from the dead. 
Did the disciples believe that? Would that be yes or no? Look at the four different times I've listed. Jesus said repeatedly, let me tell you this. This will happen. When you see this, know what's happening. Have you also not believed what the Lord said to you? He told you many times what he wanted you to know, but did you believe? No, you missed it. So, question today. Do you believe what he said? Do you trust the scriptures? That's all I've got. So there's a severe earthquake in the region. The scripture says a super being, an angel descended. Now, I don't know the earthquake happened when Christ came out of the grave or it happened when the super being descended on the grave. But the earthquake happened. You go to uh, the garden tomb, you can see where that huge earthquake happened. There's a huge crack in the wall of that rock. He rolled the stone away. Did he have a hard time doing it? I don't think so. He might have used a finger. He might have just put his hand in front of it. But this two-ton two stone rolled away. And then he sat on it, I guess, to make sure they didn't miss him. How could you miss him? No artist can render what this super being looked like. His clothing is dazzling. It's like lightning. It is spectacular. It is splendid. Uh, it is almost blinding. And his clothing is so pure white. They had never seen anything this pure white. And uh, next, Matthew reports that the Romans guards shook. The word, the Greek word for shook is seo. And it's the root word for the word earthquake, meaning these professional soldiers swooned back and forth and then collapsed unconscious. This is a most fascinating part. The angel said to the women a number of things. First off, do not be afraid. Why do you say that? If you see an angel, you're going to be afraid. Do not be afraid. I know who you're looking for. Jesus, who was crucified. Here's an important question. Are people looking for Jesus today? Would that be yes or no? Do you think so? The devil tells us they're not interested, but people are looking for Jesus today. They may not say, well, can you introduce me to Jesus? That doesn't happen a lot, but they say things like, I'm depressed, I'm discouraged, I'm lonely, I'm empty, I'm addicted, my wife has left me, my doctor has given me a horrible report. There's a layoff coming at the plant, and I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. I suggest we listen to what people are saying and we ask questions. One day, I'm prayer walking in a rainstorm. It wasn't raining when I started, but the Lord decided to baptize me, and that's okay. 
I didn't have a choice in it. So I'm walking down this road and this guy, a very loud diesel pickup truck pulls up beside me. He's a big man, much bigger than I am. And he rolls his window down and he said, do you want to ride with me? I wasn't sure that I did. And something prompted me to get in the car. So I got in the truck and rode with him. He asked me where I lived and he took me there and we sat in our driveway and I started asking him questions. Who are you? What do you do for a living? And we talked 30 minutes about him. And then he, he did something I wasn't expecting. He said, what do you do for a living? I said, you really don't want me to tell you, do you? I usually don't pull out the preacher card because people can shut down when I do that. And I said, I'm a pastor. He said, really? You are? (laughs) Well, well, I go, may not be a very good one, but that's what I am. I'm trying. Maybe I'll get better. I don't know. He said, you're really a pastor. Yeah. And he said this, that is so odd. I said, why would you say that? He said, because everything in my life is awesome except one thing I said what's that I think I need God in my life and I don't don't know how to find him the Holy Spirit said not now Steve oh I thought I was gonna be a hero then you know and so I took him to lunch the next week and he gave his heart to Christ we became very close I mentored him for six months he got baptized here and now he's with Jesus I just want to tell you, there's people all around you. But we're too busy thinking about ourselves to ask people questions and invite them into our home, walk across the street, and, and just get involved in people's lives. And then the angel said, he's not here. Say it with me, please. He is not here. He's not here. For he's risen. Just as he said, he's risen. Just like he told you. Over and over and over. Uh, the question is, does Jesus tell the truth? Would that be yes or no? Does Jesus tell the truth? I mean, really, one more time. Does Jesus tell the truth? Yes. All the time. About your life, my life, the future, what you should do with your life. One day we'll stand before him. So he does tell the truth, right? So that's kind of important that we pay attention to what he says. And then he says this. I think he motioned. I don't even know if he didn't hop down off the eight foot stone. And he said, ladies, sisters, come on in. Come into the tomb. Come and see where he was lying. You know, if if you take... The four gospel accounts, each one of them is a little different. Each one of them has a fascinating detail that the others leave out. And one of the gospels says, when the ladies went into the tomb, there's actually two other angels there waiting on them, like giving them a real estate tour. You know, it's pretty awesome. And then the super being said this, go quickly, repeat it, please go. There's a time you got to move. There's a time you stop procrastinating. There's a time you do what you know you should do. There's a time you need to act. Go quickly. And I need you to tell the disciples who are heartbroken. 
that he has risen from the dead. Do that, do that, do that. Go, go, go. Now, I want you to notice this term, Galilee. He said he's going, so the angel said to the two women, he's going into the Galilee. Repeat, Galilee, please. He's going into the Galilee. The Galilee is one of my favorite places in all the world. And that's where you will see him. You'll see him in the Galilee. And uh, the question is, why the Galilee? Well, I would say a couple reasons. One, that's where Jesus was raised. He spent 30 some, actually 33 years in the Galilee. That's where he did most of his ministry. That's where his family was. That's where the people were he loved the most. Look at the map of the Galilee. You see Judea in the south. Do you see it? You see Galilee in the north. You see that? You see the Galilee? And then you see Samaria in the middle. So the Galilee is about 75 to 80 miles north of Jerusalem. And I think the bottom line, that's where most of his followers were, in the Galilee. It wasn't around Jerusalem. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared at one time, one time, to 500 people at the same time. So I don't know what we have here. This may be 500 people, 450, 500 people. So think. Uh, Muhammad never appeared to 500 people after he died. Buddha never did. Krishna never did. Confucius never did. But Jesus did. Jesus rose from the grave. Matter of fact, he made not three, not four, not six, Nine different physical appearances over 40 days until Ascension Day. Nine appearances. That's, that's incredible. Mao Zedong did not appear to anybody. I've seen his grave. I was in Moscow and I saw Lenin's grave. You go in this mausoleum, it's about half the size of this room, and there you have the petrified body of Vladimir Lenin. I mean, it's under an environmentally controlled system. It's like a casket and there's bright lights on him. You can see the paste on his face. He didn't appear to anybody alive. And the question is, why so Many appearances for your benefit. So you would know this is not just a story. This is not a religion. This is an encounter with the one true and living God. And then as they were on their way back into Jerusalem, the resurrected Lord met the women again and met three other women who joined them and it gives their names and he greeted them. 
Would that be cool on Resurrection Day morning to have the Savior? You know what? You just got out of bed and the Savior greeted you by your name. Would that be cool or would you, would you go to heaven? And they did something. The scripture says they immediately fell on their face before the risen Savior and they worshiped him. Have you ever thought about what you're going to do the moment you leave this planet, the moment you die? The moment you take your last breath, if you're a child of the living God because you've given your heart to Jesus, that's going to be your greatest day. That's your greatest day ever. If you're not a follower of Christ, that's your worst day. That is your worst nightmare. What are you going to do? Let me tell you what old Steve-O is going to do because I've thought about this. I don't want to mess this up and like tell a bad joke or, you know, or say, Sue made me do it. I'm going to follow my face. And if I'm allowed, I'm going to touch his feet. And I'm going to say, thank you. That's what I'm going to do. And that's what they did. And Jesus told them again, same thing. I don't want you to fear. If you get into fear, you're going to miss what I've got for you. By the way, are you afraid today? Are you anxious? Are you worried about something? Don't be afraid. Trust. Trust the one that came out of the tomb. He's got it. And he's got you. Don't give in to fear. And then he said, go take this word that I've told you to my brethren. Say my brethren. That is such a term of endearment. It means family. Go tell my family. Go tell my sons. Go tell my daughters, my brothers and sisters. That I love them. And what I said was true. And then look at this. It's told by the angel. It's told by the Savior. And he says this. Leave. For the Galilee. It's right there in your book. I've read this 50 times. I missed it. I heard it one time. I didn't see it twice. Why would he tell them? Why would, why would it be communicated twice? Leave for the Galilee like now. And it shows something to me. That the disciples actually were struggling with their faith. Do you ever struggle with your faith? I do. To be honest, I do. I do. Sometimes I struggle and I go, Lord, I've walked with you for so long and I'm struggling. What does the rest of the sheep do if I'm struggling? What's the rest? What's everybody else doing? It's okay to struggle. It is really okay to struggle. But their struggle with their faith caused them not to believe, which caused them to get stuck. And stay in Jerusalem and not do what they were supposed to do. They were slow to obey the command. I think that's what this is pointing to. They didn't go to the Galilee. And so he made two more appearances in the upper room. One that night. On that Sunday night. Thomas wasn't there. 
And Thomas said, oh, I'm not believing. I'm not believing till I see those hands and I can put my hand on the wound that I saw them inflict on him. I am not believing. Have you ever been there? And so Jesus said, okay, I'll come just for you. I'll come just for you. And I'm glad he does that. Now, the story turns, as I said earlier, look at this subtle turn here. The script, your book says some, not all, some of the guards went into the city. Why did they go into the city? Because they knew they were, they were dead men. They were in trouble. They had not followed through on a command. And so they, it tells in your book who they met with. The chief priest, Annas and Caiaphas, and the chief elders. That's who they met with. And so they have this conversation behind closed doors. We're going to make you fabulously wealthy. This is not soldier pay. The scripture says a large sum of money. Plus, we're going to protect you. So you're not executed by noon today for falling asleep on duty. So here's what you're to say, okay, commander? You say this, that you all fell asleep. Now, how many was in the guard detail? We don't know. It could have been four. It could have been 20. We do not know. This was the most public man, Jesus, in the whole nation. This is a really big deal. So you're to say that you fell asleep and the disciples came and stole the body under cover of darkness. This is so absolutely ludicrous. Do you know why? Roman soldiers don't fall asleep. Much less all of them at the same time. And no bunch of guys that were fishermen were going to defeat professional soldiers. And if they were all asleep, don't you think they would have awakened when it took an hour to move a two-ton stone with grunts and shoves and ropes and all kind of noise? Don't you think they would have awakened? And by the way, if you were asleep, how did you know what happened? So the religious leaders promised we'll intervene with Pilate to save your skin. If it gets that bad, we will do that. Now, I believe Pilate did not care a bit. He didn't care about the Jews. He didn't care about Jesus. He didn't care about his own soldiers. He wanted it over with. He wanted the guy dead and buried. He didn't want to think about any of this stuff. And this is where that lie started. And to the day of Matthew, it was a big lie. Mark Twain once said this. A lie can go around the world before truth has time to lace up her boots. I believe that's true. Satan has always attacked everything Jesus stands for and the church loves, but especially he has attacked the resurrection. Why? Because if the resurrection is a myth, if the resurrection is disproved, the faith is destroyed. And you 
people and myself are to be most pitied of all because we have believed a lie. I can see the Jerusalem Herald Monday morning. Controversial rabbi executed, crazed disciple, still body from the tomb. I can see it. The media is always right, and if it's on the internet, it's always true, right? The resurrection affirms this, that Jesus is who he has claimed to be. That's what the resurrection affirms. The actions of the religious leaders actually undo what they were trying to do. It proves the truth of the resurrection. How, Pastor Steve? Think with me. If the body had been stolen on that Sunday morning, it had to be stolen by one of two groups. True? By his friends or by his enemies. Two groups. That's logical. I don't think his friends would have done it because they ran like chickens. They left the scene. They denied even knowing him. Plus, think with me, they didn't believe he was alive. They thought he was dead. And his enemies. It's not logical to think that the enemies stole the body. Why? Because that's the very thing they were trying to prevent. If they had taken the body and the controversy came up on Monday morning, all they had to do to disprove the resurrection was what? All they had to do was produce a body. That's all you got to do. But they didn't have a body. If they'd had a body, we wouldn't be sitting in this room today. But they didn't have a body. And this is even... This is even more logical. If someone had stolen the body, wouldn't you think they would take the body in the grave clothes that were so wrapped so tightly and meticulously around the body instead of taking the clothes off and even folding up the head napkin very carefully where his head was? The truth of the resurrection means this. Jesus is exactly who he said he was. Who are we talking about? Say it with me, please. He is what? He is Lord. He is what? He is Messiah. What else? He is God in the flesh and he is Savior. That's who he said he was. Now, a lot of people... Over 2,000 years have claimed to be God. Jim Jones, that knucklehead. This gentleman that started the Unification Church. 
who claimed to be God. Every pharaoh on the throne in Egypt claimed to be God. And this wonderful gentleman claimed to be God. A lot of people have claimed to be God, but only one proved it by coming up out of that grave on Sunday morning. Someone say amen and praise the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives a logical treatise on the benefits and the truth of the resurrection and what it does for us. Point number two, the scriptures and the promises are true. You can count on this book. Point number three, if Jesus rose from the dead and you are a child of the living God, that means you will too to everlasting life. Someone say amen and amen. amen. Praise God for that. Death has lost its sting. It has no grip on the child of God. The day you die as a child of God is your best day. Your last breath is your best breath because you will be translated into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ with a brand new body. Someone say, give me a body now. I'll take it. I'll take the new one. Point number four, Jesus Christ came to earth to take away our sins. And the, the, the death on the cross and the resurrection of the grave, it's God's final payment for our sin debt. Are you forgiven? Have you given your heart to Jesus? Have your sins been forgotten, erased because of what we celebrate? His last words were paid, say it, paid in full. The debt to holy God has been paid and Satan has been defeated at the cross. He's been defeated with the resurrection. Therefore, we have the power and the grace to walk in victory. We don't have to be addicts. We don't have to struggle and live in depression. We don't have to be purposeless. He has vanquished our enemy. And number six, Christ's resurrection is the ultimate rescue plan of all time. That's my favorite place in all the world. The garden tomb in Jerusalem. It's been estimated, this is a sad fact, but you need to know some of this stuff. One million Christians have been burned alive, gunned down, hacked to pieces, died of starvation in prison, tortured in unbelievable ways. Look at those bodies laid out over 10 years. Here's the good news. I believe they chose martyrdom and chose death like these men who were executed by ISIS. Ask one question. 
Are you a follower of Christ? Yes, I am. Will you recant and become a follower of Muhammad? All 21 of them, all 21 of them said, I follow Jesus Christ. Boom. Do you know why they did that? Matter of fact, the African fellow on the left, he was not a Christian. He was in that lineup. And he saw the faith of those others that died for Jesus, for the resurrection. And you know what he did? He said, I was a Muslim, but today I'm a follower of Christ. Please take my life. Boom! Because they believed in the resurrection. Let me finish my story. This ship is a USS Kirk. It's a destroyer. It was off the coast of South Vietnam. It is not designed for evacuation. It is designed to kill submarines and protect the fleet from submarines. That's the purpose of the Kirk. All that day in 1975, the 290 sailors aboard this ship, the Kirk, realized that this day was going to be different from any other day in their life because now they had a new assignment. They were now on a rescue mission because they could see in the distance and radar told them what was coming, a hundred helicopters fleeing from Vietnam with refugees that wanted to live and not die. And this is the brave American Captain Paul Jacobs who had no orders. He didn't ask for orders. He, he called his top officers and said this, we don't know if we can save a single life, but we're going to do all we can to save life because it's our duty to save life. The USS Kirk was in a real predicament. That's a photograph of it. You see the single helicopter pad with the big X at the rear. That was designed to only utilize small reconnaissance helicopters called sea sprites. And to accept other helicopters on that landing pad was the most dangerous thing ever because a ship is a moving target. These young South Vietnamese pilots had never landed a helicopter on a moving ship. And if one of them crash landed, all the sailors could die, plus the whole ship could go down. The captain decided to do it anyway. That's a picture of the very first helicopter that landed. And the captain is a third one from the left. He said, plus, we got another dilemma. Once they land and drop off their human cargo, there won't be enough fuel to get back up in the air. So, we've got to do all we can. What can we do? Here's what they did. Once the Vietnamese were quickly offloaded, 
It took 30 men pushing their guts out to push that heavy helicopter to the edge of the ship and then get it tilted so it would fall into the sea to get ready for the next helicopter because these helicopters were flying all around the Kirk begging for someone to let them land on this tiny space. After they'd landed a number of them, they were shocked when they saw a huge Chinook approaching them with the pilot waving his hands, flashing his lights, wanting to land on that tiny space. And the Kirk space was not big enough for something that big. They waved him off. They told him to go away. They said it's impossible. And that young Vietnamese pilot who was about 25 would not take no because he'd gone back to his village. He and his co-pilot got their families. He had his wife, he had his five children, and there were five others. And he was going to find a way to save the life of his family. He was determined to save them all. So what he did, he approached from the rear and he matched as best he could in the heavy winds and wave the exact speed of the Kirk. He hovered as low as he could without the blades hitting another piece of the ship and destroying everything. He got to 15 feet off the deck and he told everybody on board, get off and get off now because I am running out of fuel. Get off, get off, get off, get off. A number of them jumped. All those that didn't jump were tossed. Bless the Lord. That's Church of the Savior's new evangelism form. We're going to High Bridge on Saturday night. How many would jump? Hold your hand up. Would you jump? And what's crazy is the American sailors were standing under there trying to catch these people as they were jumping and falling. They were running out of fuel. One mother, the last female on board, took her baby, held the baby out the door, and dropped the baby. That's a picture. See the little girl with a white stocking cap? And this sailor, Kent Shipman, caught her just like he'd caught a football in high school and won the, won the game for his high school team. I'm glad he didn't spike her. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Eleven jumped. The only injury was a sprained ankle. And then the Vietnamese pilot, worship team, come on up. The poor young pilot had a dilemma. What's he going to do? He veered his chopper a hundred yards off starboard side. That's a picture of him. As an old man. And that's the young wife he chose to save and spend his life with. So he kicked the joystick to the right. That's the actual photo right there. Joystick to the right. And as the Chinook veered to the right, 
He kicked out the emergency window to his left and he bailed into the sea knowing if he didn't get away far enough the helicopter would finish him off. Look at that picture. The helicopter exploded into a thousand pieces as the wings stirred up the sea. He was rescued. Our men dove off the ship and swam to him and saved his life. And here's what's beautiful to me. Are you ready? The brave young sailors of the Kirk saved the people on 12 different helicopters, which was over 200 lives they rescued. Would you be grateful forever if you were one of those? And look at the 35th reunion. Some of those that were children were now adults. Grateful for the brave actions of the men on the Kirk. Now, pull your communion out, please. The next moment, it's the most important time. I don't know where you are today with the Lord. I don't know if you're a backslider. I don't know if you're a skeptic. I don't know if you're caught heavy in addiction. I don't know if you're an angry person. I don't know if you're deeply wounded because of the stuff that's happened to you. I don't know where you are, but he knows. And this day is about one thing. There's an eternal rescue plan. And the ship of heaven is called the resurrection. And the scripture talks about the one that is a captain of our souls and let me say what he would say to you today he would tell you to jump that chopper's going down there's nothing left for you in the past there's nothing back on land for you you don't have many options and he's asking you do you trust him enough to weigh your options and jump as an 18 year old that's when I jumped I took my leap of faith I was out of options all my options were bad and I asked Jesus to reveal himself to me I mean if you're going to take your life be a drunk be a Buddhist be a Satanist be a complete heathen I gave Jesus one try and I asked him to reveal himself to me Three months after that prayer, I knew I had one option, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And I jumped. I didn't even know if I could land in the right place, but I didn't have an option. I praise the Lord for people that share the gospel. This woman was in her 80s, and she came to my little church, and she shared the gospel four days and four nights I heard her speak every time 
Every time I heard her, I moved closer to the edge of the chopper. And the last night she was there, I took my leap of faith. It's the best thing I ever did. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you're watching online. And you know you're not where you should be. You know you're in trouble. Your options are limited. But you don't know what to do. Let me tell you what to do. Take a step of faith today. The one that loves you is waiting for you. He's waiting for you just to say yes, to let go of the stuff and jump into his arms. And he'll meet you here. So every head bowed, every eye closed. If you know you're not where you should be with the Lord, you've been distant. Your heart has been cold. You're hurt and wounded. Would you pray with me now to invite him into your life? Pray with me right where you are, right where you sit, right where you watch and say, Lord Jesus, I'm such a mess. I'm such a mess. Come into my life today. Forgive me in Jesus' name and make me your child. Because today, I'm going to walk with you, live for you forever. No turning back. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer, hold your hand up right now. Hold your hand up right now. Wonderful. Anybody else? Hold your hand up right now. Anybody else? Anybody else? If you would take the communion elements and peel back the portion that speaks about his body, but let me let me warn you. This is not a religious deal. This is not something you just did on Easter. This is a commitment. This says you are in forever. You're not halfway in. You're not 60%. You are all the way in and walking with Jesus. If you're not all the way in, please just put it back in your pocket. But if you're all the way in, take the bread in your hand. Hold it up and say, Jesus, because you were broken for me, I offer my life for you and others to serve you for your glory and honor. Take and eat. Flip it over, please. And peel back the top. Hold it up and say, Because of your blood, Lord, shed for my forgiveness. Cleanse me of every sin and wash me clean in Jesus' name. Here these next moments is final song. This altar is open for you. For you to do business with the Lord. Don't leave and not do business with Him. Whatever He says to you. There's people here that will pray with you. 
And if you made a decision for Christ today, come see me right over here on this side.
just want to tell you over and over you are incredibly loved you don't have to fear but you need to pursue him if you need to let go of something before you leave Lord I just release faith in this room today release healing in this room release salvation release Lord destiny in this room today in Jesus name he is risen He is risen. He is risen. Praise God. Bless you. to pursue God and grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.